Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. A gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Mom or Pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time. Welcome. 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 Welcome to the Dead Zone. Welcome back, all you late-night weirdos. That's Danny over there. I'm Whitney, and this is the Dead Zone Screening Room. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm pretty good. Um, We've had some weather here in Oklahoma. Yes. It has been crazy. It's been bananas. It's like, did we not realize it's not spring? Yeah, normally this is something we deal with in, like, May, uh, but it's October, so that's different. <laughs> it is different. We've had like three nights. We're in the middle of the night. We've had tornadoes. Yeah, and it's it's not a good time. I mean, it's not a good time no matter what, but yeah, the middle of the night, it's, it's very inconvenient to be woken up out of your sleep to tornado sirens and alarms and warnings and everything. It's just not a good time. Well, it has been a living horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully, we're fine. Everything's fine. Uh, and I'm ready to talk about this movie because it was cuckoo bananas. It was. Uh, we were long overdue some good gore. This is absolutely true. I think we got it. That is also true. <laughs> uh, it was some giddy good fun. It really was. It was surprising. I hadn't heard of this movie before, didn't know much about it, but it was. it was a good time. Yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, it, it's certainly not perfect. It's an 80s horror slasher. <laughs> it's, uh, it has some issues, but it didn't mean we didn't have a damn good time. I'm excited to talk about it. I am too. Well, before we do, just to recap, a few months ago, Danny and I inherited a traveling drive-in theater and were told to watch horror movies of our choosing to figure out what we want to add to the theater's vault and what to leave behind in the dead zone. The only other rule is to never be late opening the drive-in for those who are able to find us because, yeah, the theater moves around, it's never in the same place twice, and it's a mystery as to where it'll show up next. But if you can use your knowledge of horror and follow the clues in each episode, you might be able to figure out where the drive-in will show up next. And this month, in honor of Halloween, the most wonderful time of the year, we're in the middle of a series we like to call Slash Away Camp, where we look at some of the most iconic 80s summer slashers that served us all the campfire fun, complete with a healthy side of teen hormones and plenty of murdery mayhem. And this week, we are looking at the Gorefest Madman. I'm, I'm so excited. This was brand new to my radar. It, I literally, like I said, hadn't heard of it until we decided to do this series. Yeah, I hadn't either, but I tell you right now, it's going to match up to any Friday the 13th out there. Oh, for sure. It's it's the same kind of thing, and it's just as much fun. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, before we get into all that gore, now is the time that I should give you guys a forewarning that we are going to spoil everything here. So if you guys want to check it out beforehand, now's the time to pause, go watch the movie, come back. We were able to find it on Tubi, Pluto... I believe it was also on Prime, um, so it's definitely out there, able to be streamed for free, um, and we, we recommend it. It was it was very fun. <laughs> there was lots of gore, lots of cheesiness, but I mean, 
I don't know what more you can expect from these type of movies. So like I said, if you guys want to check it out, now's your chance. If you don't, if that's not your thing, that's totally understandable too. No judgment here. We're going to talk about it all here regardless. So we're going to break down every gory detail. It's going to happen. <laughs> you have no choice. Well, I mean, you do. <laughs> of course you do. I you just hope you choose us. <laughs> choose wisely. <laughs> Uh, one other side note before we get started, we do need to give a brief trigger warning. There is a depiction of hanging in this film that might be something that's too much for people. So just letting you know that we're going to be talking about that. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, are you ready to talk about the wiki? I'm very ready. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to it. So Madman, originally titled Madman The Legend Lives, is a 1982 American slasher film written and directed by Joe Giannone and stars Galen Ross and Paul Ellers. In 1979, Joe Giannone and friend Gary Sales, both graduates of Richmond College, were inspired to make a horror film after the commercial success of recent low-budget horror films. In developing a screenplay, Sales recalled the urban legend of the Cropsy Maniac, which he had heard as a child and suggested it as a possible basis for the story. Basically, it was the rumored story of an escaped mental patient with a hook for a hand who had hunted children and dragged them back to the tunnel system that lay under the abandoned ruins of the old Seaview Hospital, a former tuberculosis sanatorium in Staten Island, New York. The two devised the working title, Madman, The Legend Lives. By 1980, Giannone and Sales had secured enough financing to enter production. It was during this time that filmmakers became aware of Harvey Weinstein's film, The Burning, which was also based on the legend of the Cropsy Maniac. Because that film was already in production, the main antagonist and basic storyline of this film had to be altered. Also, with a Frank Sinatra tour entitled Frank Sinatra, The Legend Lives, being produced around the same time, filmmakers also decided to drop The Legend Lives from the title, leaving it as simply Madman. During the summer of 1980, the producers had begun location scouting, eventually settling on Fish Cove in Southampton, Long Island. Fish Cove not only provided a large house to film in, but also 25 cabins that the cast and crew could stay in. Since it was out of season, the filmmakers had to rent out the entire camp, and just like in Sleepaway Camp, since the leaves were already starting to turn brown, production was forced to paint them green to give the impression that the movie was set in summer. So, Another side note here, that that last fact about production painting leaves was actually mentioned on both the Wikipedia page for this film and IMDb's trivia section about this movie. However, it should be noted that the story clearly takes place in fall. All of our characters wear coats for their outdoor scenes, and the camp director even says that next week is Thanksgiving why these children are still in camp when it's clearly school time. Uh, I, I, I don't know. But the point is, I'm not sure why they would need to paint the leaves if they've made it a point to tell us that it's not summer. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, needless to say, I, I'm not sure of the accuracy of, of that piece of trivial information, so I felt it should be stated since we do try to be as factual as possible. I can, however, tell you that in the close-up shots, the leaves did look, in fact, very green, so. 
Take it for what it's Not worth. Not a brown leaf in sight. <laughs> Well, for the role of Max, the middle-aged head counselor, Giannoni and Sales had originally wanted to approach screen legend Vincent Price, but with the movie being non-union and Price was already an established member of the Screen Actors Guild, this could have caused complications, and we'll actually talk more about this a bit later on. As for the role of Madman Mars himself, Giannoni offered the role to Paul Ellers, who had originally been hired to design promotional materials for the film. Ellers had trained in martial arts for many years, and so the filmmakers felt he had the requirements to play the killer. However, don't get it twisted, folks. None of those skills are ever <laughs> actually put on display in this film, so don't be expecting any Jackie Chan craziness. Quite frankly, I'm not even sure how his martial arts training would have been considered a plus here. I suppose it speaks to his physicality, uh, nor do I know how much training he actually had. It could have just been a taekwondo course at the Y one summer, uh, but it, it was a fact, so I shared it. <laughs> I was confused because I was like, I watched that movie, uh, and I don't recall a single, uh, you know. I was the same way. I seen like that. <laughs> when they added it, I went... Well, why didn't they use those skills? Yeah. I mean, good on him. I'm glad he's got them, but they were not put to good use at all. I didn't see a, a single chop, <laughs> not kick. A, yep, not a roundhouse. Nope. Nothing. Uh, it's it's like in cheerleader camp where they completely misuse a professional fucking dancer yeah, and just yeah. stick her in an alligator costume and let her jump around <laughs> like an idiot. Well, on December 8th, 1980, toward the end of the shoot, filming was actually abandoned when news came that singer John Lennon had been murdered in New York by an obsessive fan. This senseless act of violence took the entire nation by surprise, and so, as a mark of respect, filming was actually put on hold for an entire day. That's really interesting. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too. After filming wrapped, Madman remained in distribution limbo through 1981 until finally being acquired by Jensen Farley Pictures at the end of the year. It had its premiere in New York City on January 7th, 1983, and over the course of the year became a sleeper hit in the drive-ins across the country, ultimately grossing $1.35 million in the U.S. What is um, a drive-in? Yeah, I don't know. Never heard of it. Hmm. Bizarre. It's weird you put that fact in there without knowing. Well, I figured, you know, maybe one of our listeners can Somebody out there would know. Trish, where you at? <laughs> On review aggregator website Rotten Tomatoes, Madman holds just a 36% approval rating. Variety awarded the film a favorable review, deeming it a well-made, low-budget horror film, while Lou Cedrone of the Baltimore Evening Sun gave it one of my favorite reviews of a slasher film, writing, quote, the butchery is the usual. There are decapitations and open gashes. There just isn't a trace of intelligence in it. End quote. You know, the butchery is the usual. <laughs> what can you expect? Same old, same old. You know, I also like how there just isn't a trace of intelligence in it. It's a fucking slasher. Uh, and actually, I beg to differ because this is a camp for gifted children. So <laughs> there's lots of intelligence Obviously. running around there. Plus, I wonder if he ever saw cheerleader camp. Because <laughs> there's much worse, buddy. Maybe that's what really did Madman a favor for us. Maybe that's it. Maybe this movie really isn't that great. We just happened to watch it after Cheerleader Camp. Yeah. So by comparison, it seems fucking brilliant. Yeah. Anything we could have watched this week. 
we could have been like, wow, this is great. We watch Ishtar. Fantastic movie. Anyone seen it? Well, Madman was released on DVD in 2002 by Anchor Bay Entertainment. It would be released again on DVD by Code Red in 2010. But this edition, although it contained numerous bonus materials, had an inferior transfer that lacked the blue hues present in the original negative. Who makes a copy of a movie and just leaves out an entire color? <laughs> I mean, I think that would be obvious. Yeah, I would. I would. I would think, especially in like a darker horror movie, that yeah. just feels like pretty important. Bizarre. Uh, well, on May 12, 2015, the independent label Vinegar Syndrome finally issued the film on Blu-ray and for the first time featuring a new 4K restoration from the original negatives. It's also worth noting that in 2017, Complex Magazine named Madman the 25th greatest slasher film of all time. But keep in mind, this is a publication started by fashion designer Mark Echo Milkowski, and uh, it focuses more on style, sneakers, food, and youth culture in general. Uh, not horror movies, so take that for what it's worth. <laughs> I was about to say, that does seem like a pretty random list, but I mean, just because I've never heard of like Complex being huge in the horror world as far as <laughs> ranking lists. You know, maybe they have an affinity for the horror. Who hey, knows? I'll but... take it. Somebody else besides us liked it, so there's some validation is all I'm saying. (laughs) All right, so the synopsis reads, At a summer camp in the woods, Max, one of the counselors, decides to rego the campers and other counselors with a frightening tale of a local serial killer, Madman Mars. As the story goes on, if his name is uttered above a whisper, he will return to the area to kill. Unimpressed and unafraid, an impudent teen, Richie, feels compelled to test the legend, despite the deadly consequences. Within moments, Madman Mars is back again for blood. Dun, dun, dun. Madman Mars. Madman Mars. (laughs) It is the tale of Madman Mars. Um... I'm so ready to talk about this. I am too. All right, let's do it. Well, we start out with some ominous droning music, according to the closed captions. We get some opening credit graphics. This graphic was created by Paul Ellers, who plays Madman Mars. Remember, he had been brought in to design some promotional materials for the film and ended up playing the villain instead. So this graphic was originally going to be the film's poster, but the distributors had already created another poster for release, so it just became the opening title card. We then get the title card that reads... It all started during a campfire at North Sea Cottages, a special retreat for gifted children. We never learn in what way these children are gifted, whether that's academically, musically, card tricks, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, This little blurb here is the only thing that indicates that they're gifted. So our movie starts off just as it stated it would with our campers around a campfire and one of the counselors, TP, is singing a song to everyone called Song of the Fifth Wind and it's basically the plot of our movie. Here's a little snippet of the lyrics. He says, long, long ago the fifth wind blew, 
stole the man's mind, left him blood mad. He hid among the trees, appeared with the breeze. He killed them and dragged off their bodies. A chill in the air, the scent of death crawling, full moons a witness as one by one they trespassed his ground and chose to take chances. Dragged into the black, arose in the ground, dragged into the night, their bodies never found. It was a little one-hit wonder. It, uh, it was a bop. Yeah. It was a bop. Something you could slow dance with, with the honeys, too. <laughs> <laughs> a little bow chicka wow wow time. Uh, well, this goes on for the entire song. We get every uh, lovely verse of it. The scene is intercut with shots of our campers smiling and listening, but also with quick shots from scenes from later on in the movie when each of our cast members is being stalked to their death, uh, which is a weird choice. It's like, don't get lulled into a false sense of security, because mm-hmm. make no mistake, these people are about to die horribly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure you understood that. <laughs> Uh, Also, producer Gary Sales wrote all the songs featured in this film, and uh, Tony Fish Nunziata, who plays TP, sings two of them, this obviously being the first, the other being I Don't Need Words, and I'll be sure to point out when that one happens. It's... It's... It's fun. (laughs) It's one of the best moments in this film just for the sheer what the fuckery of yes, it. Yes, <laughs> all of that is correct. Well, TP finishes his song with a scream to scare everyone, and everyone laughs and claps for him. Oh, TP, you silly. Well, we then get some exposition from the camp's director, Max. He tells the story of a madman that used to live in the old dilapidated house on the campgrounds. He had been a farmer who was a piece-of-shit human that used to drink too much and beat his wife and children. He was such a tough son of a bitch that he once had the tip of his nose bitten off in a bar brawl and didn't feel a thing. And on this very night, many years ago, he took an axe and chopped up his entire family. He then calmly walked to the nearby tavern, lifted the bloody axe onto the bar, and ordered himself a beer. But once the townsfolk had figured out what he had done, ten men jumped him, dragged him to the nearest tree, and hung him. One of the men grabbed the bloody axe and swung it at the farmer's head, leaving a deep gash on the side of his face. They left him there for dead, but the next morning, when they went to cut him down, he was gone. And so were the bodies of his wife and children. To this day, their bodies have never been found. Of course, over this story, we see images of the madman chopping up his family, and if we were all left feeling a little empty in the gore department after last week's movie, Cheerleader Camp, Madman is here to fill our gore needs. Uh, The effects of Madman attacking his family were performed practically using dummy heads made of condoms filled with fake blood, which when hit with the axe gave the impression the skull had been absolutely obliterated. So much blood. Yeah, it was very uh, wet sounding. Oh, so squishy. Yeah, it was very realistic. I remember some of those scenes were um, depicted in the trailer, which was the reason we had kind of given the forewarning last week that the trailer was a little 
gory itself because uh, yeah they don't fuck around with it in this movie <laughs> at all and just right into it we are you know 30 seconds in and we're getting condom blood yeah. splashed in our faces <laughs> it's like whoa which all is right. something i didn't think i needed ever and i still don't know that i need it i would like to clarify that uh but you got it anyway yeah well, after Max has finished his tale, one of our campers, Richie, calls BS. He says, how could their bodies never be found? I mean, where could they be? I guess Richie lives in a world where missing people don't exist. Uh, Max replies, I don't know, Richie. All I do know is that on certain nights when the moon is full, he's out there stalking in the woods, searching for people so he can chop their heads off with an axe or hang them from a tree. And Richie's all like, oh, yeah, what's this farmer's name anyway? And Max says, oh, there's a reason I haven't told you his name. If you say his name above a whisper, he will hear you and come for you. One by one, you'll start to fall. And before the night's over, I'll get you all. And his name is Madman Mars. Ooh. So spooky. Now, the first time I saw this, I thought they were setting it up as a whodunit, and it was going to turn out it was really Max all along. I mean, we're going to see that he's conveniently gone for the entire movie and doesn't show back up to the end. Plus, he also kind of has the same hair and build <laughs> as Mad Mad Mars. And it all stemmed from that one line. He says, one by one, you'll start to fall. And before the night's over, I'll get you all. He says, I'll get you all, not he'll get you all. It's even like that in the closed captions. I don't know why it's like that. Yeah. I don't even know that I noticed. Yeah. Well, (laughs) alas, I was giving this movie way too much credit. And it really is just some creepy undead madman running around. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, Richie the smart Alec has to start screaming his name. Hey, Mars! Madman Mars! Here we are! Come get us! He then throws a rock at Mars's old rundown house that crashes through the window, even though they're nowhere close enough that he would have even made that shot. <laughs> I mean, sign that kid up to the major leagues because he's got an arm. Maybe that's where his gifted abilities comes in. <laughs> So, maybe they're gifted at the baseball. <laughs> so, stupid teen boy Richie here, who has just signed each of their death sentences, is played by actor Tom Candela, who has one other creepy credit on his resume, and that is a movie called Midnight Matinee Psycho, which also stars madman himself, Paul Ellers. That sounds good. I would like to see that. (laughs) I would too. Never heard of it. Me neither. Also, there's a weird effect here that Danny and I couldn't figure out what was going on. When they show the wide shot of Martz's old rundown house, there's a full moon that can be seen. I mean, of course there is. It's a horror movie. (laughs) But then there's like leaves that have been superimposed moving in front of the moon. But they're obviously not part of the tree that's nearby. It's almost like the shot of the house was a still photograph, and they added these moving leaves to give the impression that it's a live shot. It's weird. It it is weird and very noticeable. (laughs) If they hadn't added the moving leaves, I probably wouldn't have thought anything about it. Yeah, it definitely, We I think we had to rewind it and watch it a couple times to see what was going on. Yeah, because it was just like, what is that weird thing? (laughs) If it had just been a shot of the house, it would have been fine. 
Anyway, uh, Max tells them that no one is safe in the woods tonight. You can hear him. You can see him. You can smell his odor of death. And you turn around. And suddenly his horribly mutilated face stares down at you. It's the last thing you see. Before zap, off goes your head. And they all scream and laugh. And he tells them, I hope you enjoyed my little story. It's my way of saying goodbye and good luck to all you children. (laughs) Well, that's a shitty way to say goodbye and good luck, Max. I think we all would have unanimously preferred you just said goodbye and good luck and not curse us to be decapitated or hung in the woods. Yeah, I feel like there was another way we could have done that. You jerk. Just a simple wave. I mean, seriously, if you hadn't have told us this story... None of us would be dead by the end of this movie, Max. I hope this weighs heavily on your conscience. We then learn that the camp is shutting down for the off-season. Max mentions that the kids' parents will be there for the last weekend before Thanksgiving, and that Max will then be leaving for his annual winter vacation down south. And this is how we know this movie takes place during the fall. So again, not sure why we had to paint leaves. Unless it was that special summer Thanksgiving. Sometimes. <laughs> I love summer giving. It's <laughs> nothing screams <laughs> summer like hot turkey and mm. stuffing. Oh, yeah. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, by now it's time to head back to camp and the boys are to stay behind to put out the fire. But remember, don't walk in the woods alone because Madman Mad Mars will get you. you. And they all say it in unison like they've been doing it for years, even though they just heard the story five seconds ago. (laughs) Uh, Also, it's worth noting here the absurd camper to counselor ratio. Not including Max, the camp director, there are six counselors and six campers. Why why do you need one counselor per camper? I thought these were gifted kids. Why do they need so much supervision? (laughs) The gift is a counselor. I guess so. Maybe that's the thing. You get that one-on-one uh, interaction at this camp. They're gifted. To really they work on it. their throwing arms. Mm-hmm. It's paying off. <laughs> tell you. Well, we then see that one of the campers is talking to camp counselor Betsy. The camper has been scared by Max's story, and Betsy reassures her no one is coming to cut her head off. Betsy sends her off with the other campers, and TP comes over to ask Betsy if they're going to meet at the same place and the same time tonight. But Betsy is upset that he and Max scared the kids so much, so no, she will not be meeting him tonight. TP responds by yelling that they don't have many nights left together, which starts a big fight in front of everyone which another counselor, Stacy, has to come over and break up with some pearls of wisdom. She tells TP, hey, give her some room to make up her own mind. If you really love her, the biggest test is letting go, not holding on. Sage advice, Stacy. Sage <laughs> advice. So Betsy here is played by actress Galen Ross, although she's credited under the name Alexis Dubin. Galen earned her place in the hallowed halls of Horror Hall of Fame when she starred as Francine in George Romero's 1978 original Dawn of the Dead. 
She also appeared alongside Ted Danson and Leslie Nielsen in the Something to Tide You Over segment of the 80s anthology classic Creepshow. Oh, yeah. I I remember that segment. Oddly enough, um, I just saw that movie for the first time. Yeah, I showed it to you. It's a good one. Yeah, it is really good. Meteor (laughs) shit. My favorite. It was really good. Now, supposedly the reason she is credited as Alexis Dubin in this film and not her regular working moniker of Galen Ross is allegedly because she was not happy with the finished product and tried to disassociate herself from the film as much as possible. However, I can't find any reports of her actually saying that, just people claiming that without citing a source. So while that's entirely possible, it's also worth noting again that this was a non-union production. Remember, I brought this up when I talked about Vincent Price being considered for a role. Mm -hmm. And what that means is if Galen had her SAG card and was a member of the Screen Actors Guild, which is a union that actors belong to, then appearing in a non-union film could result in serious consequences, anywhere from being fined all the way up to being blacklisted and not working again. So to avoid this, actors would often use different names than what appears on their SAG card. In fact, there are several actors in this film that appeared to use different names. Uh, Tony Nunziata, who plays TP, is credited as Tony Fish. Tom Candela, who plays Richie, is credited as Jimmy Steele, which is a horrible screen name. It sounds like a porn, <laughs> porn actor. Name, yes. <laughs> and Frederick Newman, who plays Max, is credited as Carl Fredericks. So although it's quite possible that she may not have wanted anything to do with this movie, her name change is more than likely simply due to union requirements. That makes sense. While well, everyone heads back to camp while the boys put out the fire, TP then lines all his campers up and makes them march. Seriously, what kind of camp is this? Uh, they double time back to camp. But before they leave, Richie sees someone or something up in the trees watching them. In fact, Richie is so enthralled with what he sees, the rest of the group double time marches away, leaving Richie behind. We then see the figure in the tree come down. I mean, I think we all know at this point, this is Mars. And Richie follows him, which leads him to Mars's abandoned house. Remember the house that was supposedly close enough to throw a rock through the window, but yet now he has to traipse through the damn woods to get to? <laughs> so Madman Mars here is played by Paul Ellers, who we talked about in the wiki. But I do have a few more fun facts about him, along with his creepy credits, including Midnight Matinee Psycho with Tom Candela, who plays Richie. Plus, he was also in a comedy horror short called Caesar and Otto Meet Dracula's Lawyer. (laughs) Wait, that also happened to star the incredible late Desiree Gould, who played none other than Aunt Martha, the real villain of Sleepaway Camp. Oh, wow. How cool is that connection? That's amazing. I love that title literally so much. (laughs) Well, another bit of cool Paul Ellers trivia, 
Paul's son, Jonathan, was born during the shooting of this movie. Paul received the news that his wife was in labor while filming a scene in full Madman Mars makeup. Paul went immediately to the hospital and held his newborn son for the first time while still wearing some of his Mars makeup and overalls covered with fake blood. That's amazing. How cool is that if you're a kid and you're like, yeah, my dad played a horror movie and the very first time he ever held me was in pretty much full makeup. That is so cool. If you don't grow up loving horror, (laughs) I mean, come on. Uh, I mean, it's in your origin story. Uh, it's also worth mentioning here that Madman Mars has like emphasized hands and feet. Yeah, there's some confusing things happening when we first are introduced to his uh, character traits. Yeah, I guess it's to make him appear more frightening. I- I'm not sure why they chose to do this. It it, it looks kind of silly, but. They have them in like, I don't know if they're completely prosthetic hands and feet. I know the feet are, because according to Ellers, the fake feet he wore were really slippery, and it nearly caused him to fall out of the tree in that shot we oh, just no. watched <laughs> where he's standing up there. But he also has like makeup on his hands, you know, kind of makes it look like he has claws. Yeah, and, they're almost like, um, I don't know. Like monstery kind of. Yeah, yeah. It's a weird choice. Creature looking. It's mm-hmm. just, it, it. I think leaves the viewer confused for a good chunk. I, I speak for myself. Confused for a good chunk of the movie, wondering what our monster is exactly. Because he's he's meant to just be a man. The title's mm-hmm. Madman. Yeah. But the the traits are very exaggerated and stuff like that. So you are like, okay, well, is this more of a creature or a monster? Is it more supernatural in some capacity? You know, it just. It throws things off a little bit, but those are really two the only things that are unhuman like, I guess I should say, on him. Just the hands and the feet. Yeah. And and of course he's got some scarring on his face because they told us in the story mm-hmm. the tip of his nose had been bitten off and he has a scar. Uh so in this scene, we see Mars go inside to the cellar of the house and he lights this count candle. But you know, we, we talk about what we can see of him, his hands and his feet. But keep in mind, whenever we say see what we can see, understand that what we see is very limited at first. Either we just see a silhouette or certain body parts like his hands or feet. We don't get a full on reveal of Mars until closer to the end mm-hmm. of the film. Mm-hmm. So anytime we say we see Mars, know that that's uh just parts of him. Yeah. Enough that you know it's him and he's there. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the times it's just like a silhouette or mm-hmm. we can just kind of see him blurry in the background while we're seeing our main character in the foreground. It's definitely, I mean, we see a lot of like sneak peeks of him for sure. They definitely yeah. don't play around with like giving us previews of him the whole time. But yeah, full view is not seen till the very, well, I guess I should say close to the very end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Richie makes his way inside the house and starts looking around and eventually goes upstairs in the house. We then see Mars extinguish the candle down in the cellar and exit. Next, we see TP and the two remaining campers that aren't Richie arrive back at camp. And TP tells them to finish packing and that cleanup is in half an hour. But conveniently, he never once turns around to notice that Richie isn't with them. 
So yeah, the, <laughs> the counselor whole time. of the year right here. <laughs> Literally nobody does. There's this whole scene of like them walking away. And I remember thinking that to myself, I was like, it's really unrealistic that like at no point does anybody look around behind them to see that this last person is gone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Especially because you can tell up until this point, everybody's pretty friendly. Like they've, they conversate, they know each other's names, and they're, you know, cordial to each other, so it's not... Well, I mean, there's six of them in the entire camp. Yeah. I mean, they have no choice yeah. but to know each other. <laughs> so it's not like... I mean, it would make sense if they had just met, you know, right. and they don't really know each other's names. But yeah, of course they would, you know... I don't know. It just seemed unrealistic that this Absolutely. guy would get yes. left behind like that. <laughs> well, we next see Stacy come over to visit Betsy to check on her. Betsy says she's doing fine. She just gets quiet when it's over for the season. I suppose she means camp. They then talk about TP and the fact that Betsy needs some space. Stacy says she's happy to see Betsy recognize the sign of a possessive male and thinks they should have a flashing light screwed into their foreheads, flashing, beware, beware. The girls laugh, and Betsy says that would make it much easier to spot them. Beep boop, beep boop, beep boop. <laughs> <laughs> and she just starts screaming, beep boop. It's great. Uh, the girls continue to have a little fun trashing on the perils of dating, which is fun to see women actually have an opinion in an 80s horror movie, uh, where they usually just have the ladies around for the gratuitous sex and nudity. Uh, the girls pledge their friendship and say they'll keep in touch, but you and I both know they'll make an effort to meet for lunch or a movie a couple times, but then they'll just realize the only thing they really had in common was camp, and they'll grow apart and never see each other again. Adult friendships. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, back outside, T.P. and Max are gathered around an old tree stump with a rusted axe sticking out of it. T.P. says, does your offer of a hundred bucks still stand if anyone can pull this axe out? Max says, you betcha. T.P. tries to no avail. He even asks Max to join in and help, but not even the strength of two men can free the axe. Even though we all know damn well this is just so we can be amazed when Mars is going to come by later and pull this thing out, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> so Max gives up and tells T.P., don't worry, there'll be another time. Yeah, I mean, this thing is here all the time. <laughs> come back in five minutes, try again. <laughs> Well, T.P. replies that he doesn't like losing, to which Max says, losing, winning, what's the difference? I mean, everything. Literally, <laughs> they are the antithesis of each other, so. He says, play the game with a fair heart and you'll always be able to look yourself in the mirror. Play too hard to win and you might not like what you become. What in the Pan's Labyrinth riddle hell are you talking about? Apparently, Max uses every moment as a teaching lesson, and T.P. doesn't like it, so he throws a hissy fit by slapping the axe handle and walking away. <laughs> Remember, you even went, what was the point of that little extra scene there? I don't know. He's having a hissy fit. Yeah, it was just, this whole, I mean, I get this scene, like you said, it's, it's to set up this whole axe thing, so we see later that, you know, Mars is super strong when he pulls it out. But this whole scene is just bizarre because I kept thinking, okay, this lesson is going to come into play later. You know, this is why he's telling him this because our dude's going to fly too close to the sun or something, you know, later. On. But uh, uh, none of this comes back into play. Like, we never get this lesson with this dude or anything. It's just like, you know. More sage advice from Max, yeah, I guess. <laughs> just so we can all leave this movie with some some little nibbles of knowledge in our brain everybody seems to have little nuggets of wisdom yeah it really is a gifted camp yeah it just keeps on giving 
Also, while all this was going on, Dippy, the drunk-ass cook, comes out to see what's happening. At least I, I'm guessing he's the cook. He's yeah. wearing a dirty apron, but we never see him actually cooking. Uh, in the next scene, we see Dippy has passed out and is woken up by Stacy playing her recorder. Dippy goes wandering off and opens a door to a shed. And when he turns on the light, Madman Mars is standing there and slashes Dippy across the throat with an amazing mm-hmm. practical effect. It is really well done and looks so good. We then see Mars drag Dippy's body away. Man, this moment got me. Because it's so unexpected. I mean, thus far we've just been given lessons, hitting axes. <laughs> we've been learning shit, walking around. Uh, Yeah, I was so distracted by the overall goofiness of Dippy. I mean, he's given and taken away from us in the exact same scene, it feels like. I I did not get enough quality Dippy time. Yeah. I wanted so much more Dippy. Uh, (laughs) Plus, I couldn't figure out what he was doing. Yeah. Because he walks, I guess, in between all these cabins, so it's kind of dark he goes over to an area and he's fiddling with this lock. I'm like, what is he doing? Yeah. And he gets it open and he he's drunk. So he kind of like stumbles as mm-hmm. he whips this door open. I went, oh, he's opening a door. But it's dark so you can't see anything. Yeah. So there's no big reveal when he whips the door open. Yeah. And then you don't even realize he's which, reaching in to turn on a light. So when a light comes on and reveals Mars, you're like, holy fucking shit. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> and then just whack. <laughs> Poor He's Dippy. dead. But it's, it was a great kill. Oh, man, it was so good. Yeah, it was really good. I loved those effects. R.I.P. Dippy. We hardly knew you. We really <laughs> didn't know much about you at all. Well, we next have a short scene in the boys' cabin where the two remaining campers are discussing Richie's disappearance. They decide that Richie must be missing by choice, so they're going to go ahead and make up his bed so it looks like he came back just to give them enough time to actually get back. They weren't kidding. These kids actually have no concept of missing people. People really do go missing, and it's usually not a good thing, children. Don't cover for your missing friend that did not express to you that he was not returning. Please be more worried. Just be more worried that he's missing. Please and tell show a little bit more concern. I was just thinking, it was like, maybe I was just an anxious child. I mean, I know I'm an anxious adult. This is not new news. And I, I'm pretty much positive I was, I was an anxious child. But maybe I was overly so, because this whole time I'm thinking, no. My ass would have been like, hello, anybody? This guy's gone. Yeah. He's so gone. He's been gone for many minutes. Now, it would have been a different story if Richie said, hey, I'm going to go sneak into that house. Yeah. Cover for me. Then for I would have sure. been like, all right, that's dangerous. You probably shouldn't, but it's your life, dude. Do what you want. Yeah. And then if maybe if you don't return in a certain amount of time, I would probably mm-hmm. still tell someone. But yeah, just to not even know yeah. that he was taken off. Yeah, I think I would tell someone. Yeah. Crazy. Well, we then cut to Richie snooping around in the attic of Mars's old house. While Richie is up there, we see Mars return to the home cellar with Dippy's body. We then see him grab a rope and head back out. That can't be good. Meanwhile, Richie is still walking around the house when he sees Mars leave and decides to follow him. We then cut to the camp dining hall where Max has gathered the six camp counselors together for a final meal. Max tells them he thinks they've all contributed something to the growth of the people as individuals and the kids in general that will stay with them the rest of their lives. 
what is this camp? What do they do here? I am so intrigued. It's starting to sound like a cult. Uh, then Betsy tells Max that she has concerns about what happened at the campfire. She says she knows how much Max loves telling those stories and doesn't want to ruin it for him, but the kids are practically in tears by the time it's done, and maybe it's too much for them. Max says that's a good point and that he never thought of that. Really? <laughs> it never occurred to me telling the story of a bloody axe murder to children would be scary. I don't... I don't know. I just never crossed my mind. I mean, these are gifted kids. They should be able to handle it. So. He's like, I mean, I guess. It never really crossed my mind. But if you're going to be a pussy about it, it's fine. I'll just uh, just tell the kids about Barney, I guess. I don't know what you want from me. Obviously, they're not as gifted as we thought. (laughs) They can't come back next year. Well, Max tells her he has no objections to excluding the younger kids from the campfire next year and will only scare the hell out of the older ones. How agreeable. Max then says he's headed off to town to pick up some supplies and play some cards. Oh, and that stash of beer you have hidden in the bottom of the fridge that you didn't think I knew about? Save one for me. Oh, you scoundrel. Okay, I'll be back in a couple hours, you crazy kids. <laughs> all right, I love you. All right, kids. <laughs> I love that it's always something like that that movies use to try and let you know he's the cool adult. Yeah. <laughs> Letting him get away with drinking a little beer. What a cool guy. <laughs> well, after Max's departure, TP stands up to make an announcement. He says, quote, Tonight you all witnessed the scene between Betsy and me up at the campfire that should have never happened. I'd like to publicly apologize to Betsy and to the rest of you for subjecting you to my petty and selfish attitude. He then makes a toast to friends and friendship and love and lovers. May you always have more than you need. Does everyone in this movie seem unusually woke to you? (laughs) And also, I don't want more lovers than I need. (laughs) It sounds exhausting. Brian does. (laughs) Uh, Like, it doesn't just seem like your typical teen slasher with a bunch of boobs and blood. It's somehow slightly more sophisticated. Yeah. Everybody's having all these really intense emotional Mm -hmm, conversations, mm -hmm. you know. It's just different. Especially because in a lot of these movies, the counselors are portrayed by just like, I don't know, 21-year-olds. So they're still really... Young and like you said, they're just kind of there to hang out. And these people were in their thirties. Yeah, and they're they're like, you know what, kiddos, let's let's sit down and and learn about life's lessons. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not your typical teen slasher. <laughs> it was it was interesting, insightful. It was a, a kind of a breath of fresh air. <laughs> to get, these people have thoughts and feelings. That's nice. They're not just here to fuck. <laughs> Except maybe in the next scene, because (laughs) we do get the film's only sex scene, and oh my goodness, what a scene it is. It is a treat. I mean, for the one that we get, I mean, wow, do they really go above and beyond. I think it's my favorite sex scene in any movie ever. (laughs) Period. Hands down. Well, first of all, I guess T.P.'s speech really did the trick, because he and Betsy do end up hooking up, and... First of all, we get the second song, sung by Tony Nunziata, called I Don't Need Words. And I wish you didn't need words to sing this song. I, 
I mean, it's fine, I suppose. It's like a folk music type ballad. It seems more like it should be from the 70s, mm-hmm. not the 80s. But please allow me to share some of the lyrics. <laughs> Magician does his magic, thrills you with a slick trick. Oh, You never know just how he makes it happen. Find yourself just clapping. Just a clap. And feeling good. Yeah, I do. Should the magic get you high. I'm, I'm a high. <laughs> no need to wonder why. No wondering here. Come with me together. All right. Let's count all the stars in the sky. One, two, three, four. Don't need words to know how I feel about you. No words here. Don't need words. Don't have them. Don't need words. I still don't have any. <laughs> now, if you would, please imagine this song being sung while these two lovebirds begin to undress. We see TP wears a giant belt buckle with his own initials on it. <laughs> I guess in case he forgets which fucking belt is his. Also, I would, I mean, I'm fine with that. But <laughs> maybe I would do it if I had any other fucking initials besides the ones that people commonly use for toilet paper. It makes it so much better, though. All <laughs> I kept thinking when somebody would yell TP was toilet paper. Oh, it was so great. It's so great. Uh, we we next get a flash of Betsy's boobs and TP's butt. So, you know, Equality. equal opportunity nudity. Uh, and this fulfills our horror slasher TNA requirements as they both get into the world's largest jacuzzi. Seriously, this thing could seat you and 20 of your closest friends. They then <laughs> start to like circle around the outer rim of the jacuzzi in a clockwise motion. They're in the jacuzzi. Yeah. They're just across from each other and they keep circling while occasionally (laughs) spinning around in a tiny circle about every quarter hour on this (laughs) invisible clock. (laughs) I think it's meant to be like, you know, a lot of times in these movies where people have kind of like come together they kind of have this like little chase thing you know where they're kind of like mm, can't get me or maybe you can i don't know oh nope too so close. you think that this is like teasing each other I, chasing around I'm the jacuzzi thinking, but it goes on for far too fucking so long. long and it's just i've never seen so many s- spinnings happening in these chase you yeah. know most times it's just like giggle and they run to the corner of the room or whatever this one jay the the it's just too long. It is. It, to to tell you how long it goes on, literally the length of the entire song. We hear the entire song start to finish. And they stretch this weird spinning <laughs> in a jacuzzi scene across the entire thing. Why are they spinning? We don't know. It looks like a weird dance routine they've been practicing all summer. Mm-hmm. Again, what kind of camp is this? <laughs> Finally, our couple comes together and starts with the sexy time, and we all see that they are being watched from outside by Mars, who, by the way, never speaks. He only makes grunting animal noises. Mm-hmm. It's just... <laughs> that's that's Mars. <laughs> we cut back to the couple, and the two surface from being under the water, and Betsy starts laughing and tells TP that she was in the middle, and he didn't let her finish. She she then says, you always do that. Then the two laugh together and embrace. Was she talking about her orgasm? I don't know. We couldn't quite figure that out. And it made me (laughs) sad thinking that this was a commonality. Yes. 
Like, you never let me finish, you big goof. Girl, this is a shitty sexual partner. Get a new partner. If this is something that happens, it is not a joke, ma'am. <laughs> that is some bullshit. You deserve better, my guy. Plus, why were you underwater? <laughs> let yourself breathe. <laughs> what kind of camp is this? Well, next we see Richie out in the woods. Remember, he had gone off to try and follow Mars, but apparently he lost sight of him, and now Richie seems to be lost in the woods. We then cut to Stacy sitting in a rowboat tied to the shore playing her recorder. But I guess four notes is all she's got time for because that's literally all she plays before getting out of the boat and heading up a steep embankment, <laughs> presumably to head back to camp. But she's really struggling to get up that hill. She's having to really encourage herself to make it, saying things like, let's go, girl. You can do it. That's it. Go. Yes, you can do it. I mean, it is a struggle for the ages. Also, shouldn't there be an easier way to get to and from the camp to the lake? You like would, You would think. Put in some stairs. Regardless, <laughs> we see that Mars has now set his sights on Stacy and is watching her little struggle parade. And just when Stacy finally makes it to the top, we see Mars's hand reach out, just missing her. Phew, she really dodged that bullet. <sighs> she then turns around, blows a raspberry at the hill, like, fuck you, I made it. <laughs> we also see Mars is no longer there. This is one sneaky bastard. Next, I'd like to be able to explain to you what's happening in this scene, uh, but I'm not entirely sure I can. It really should be seen to be appreciated. <laughs> this and that freaking jacuzzi scene really must be experienced for yourself. Oh yeah, we, we're not doing that justice oh, We are all. not. But here we get this weird, almost existential conversation between Stacy and three other counselors, Bill, Ellie, and Dave, about fire and also trust. Maybe? I, I don't know. So <laughs> there's also a certain way this scene plays out uh, that is an interesting choice on the part of the filmmakers, to say the least. So everyone is lying on the floor side by side and head to head. And by head-to-head, -head, I mean full-on ear-to-ear, right up against each other. So in order to have everyone's head in the middle and that close, they have to alternate which way their feet are pointing. So like since Stacy is lying down with her feet facing to the right, in order for Bill to put his head right next to hers, his feet are pointed in the opposite direction to the left and so on down the line. I hope this makes sense. Trust me, I wouldn't be going through the trouble of trying to describe it if it wasn't such an integral part of this scene. Because the filmmakers then let the strange conversation they have unfold as the camera passes each one of their heads on down the line. And it's written so each member of the group only has enough lines to fill the time the camera is on them until it moves on to the next person until ultimately ending on Dave who then gets his own really weird monologue. So we start on Stacy who says, great fire, Bill. The camera then pans down to Bill next to her who says, thanks. I love to feel the flames devour the wood. Who says there's no beauty in destruction? The camera keeps moving down to Ellie who says, I don't think there's beauty in any kind of destruction for any reason. The camera continues on to Dave, who says, I'd say that depends on the reason, for as long as our reason stays reasonable, that's the most frightening thing about us humans. I am 
no idea what the fuck is going on in this scene. No, no clue. Well, it gets crazier because then Dave gets up and goes off on this terrifying monologue, pulling out a pocket knife as he talks. In fact, all the counselors have pocket knives, by the way. We can see them on their belts uh, and that'll come into play later. But he's talking about how you never really know what's in someone's mind, if they're thinking rationally or if they've created some other reality. Ellie asks Dave if he's okay. Dave says, of course, I'm letting my emotions overcome my intellect. See how easy it is to question another human mind? I can tell there's a question about me, a touch of fear in your eyes. I could take your bodies one at a time and hide them so no one would ever find them. I could chop off your heads, and he screams and scares the group, and then they all laugh and dogpile on top of each other. That's it. That's this whole fucking scene. (laughs) There's no lesson to be learned. Even though they pose it like we should be learning something yet again. We were just there to be scared, I think. Gifted camp is weird. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that was a simplified version of his whole speech, but... He was in it, man, and quite frankly, I was right there with him. No shade, Seth Jones, who plays Dave, he did an incredible job here. Mm -hmm. I was completely mesmerized and in the moment. I was all like, well, Dave sure flipped his shit quick. (laughs) (laughs) But then the whole thing just turns out to be a big old joke, and you're just left going, what was the point of that? Yeah, (laughs) It's very strange, but yet I was here for every damn weird minute of it. I think that's what confused me about this one because they the way they have them laying and everything and the way they kind of handle this movie is whether we're having a killing or not, there will be kind of like an intense moment, you know, whether we that's us just getting like a sneak preview of the madman or, you know, one of our campers has like a close encounter with the madman. There's definitely like a tense scene of, you know, near like a jump scene or something to get your blood pumping. And then we come back down to, you know, a spinny sex scene in the hot tub or a little lesson by the axe in the wood or another lesson by the fire in the cabin. So there's these like lulls in the in the action where we're given some sort of lesson for whatever reason, we're just constantly learning things. So that's what I was expecting from this scene. And because this scene really felt more fun, which I don't mind, these movies are supposed to be fun. It just felt off because thus far this movie hasn't been playing on that theme at all. They've been, like we said, more serious and more introspective and everything like that. And then this one just quickly gets turned into like a, just kidding. It's a joke just to scare everybody. It was just like, uh, Okay, well, I'm confused what the point of this scene was then, because thus far, every scene has kind of had some sort of point to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Besides when that one dude hit the axe for no reason. But we're either being taught a lesson or we're being scared. This one didn't do anything. Yeah, I I kind of felt afterwards, I got this impression on my second viewing that I was like, oh, maybe it was like, oh, yeah, by the way, there's three other counselors here that we really haven't shined a light on, Mm -hmm. and they're also going to be in this movie <laughs> so i felt like this was a way to throw yeah, them in that would make sense though just to kind of reintroduce us to characters yeah well next we check back in with richie yep still lost in the woods so back at the main camp tp has come in to check on his campers and has discovered finally that richie is missing he tells betsy he's going to go looking for him betsy suggests he take a couple of the other counselors with him for safety but he promises he's just going to take a quick look, and if he doesn't find him right away, he'll come back for the others to help. 
But then, just as T.P. is headed out, across the campgrounds, Betsy thinks she sees someone walking around. She stops T.P., but when she looks back to where the figure was, she doesn't see it anymore. So she just says, never mind, and sends him on his way. Yes, because since we can't see him, he must not exist anymore. (laughs) Betsy has issues with object permanence. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Well, next we're with Bill and Ellie as they're setting up a tent for a little alone time. Ellie and Bill are talking about their future plans and then decide to get a little busy in the tent. So Ellie here is the most adorable thing you'll ever see. Everything about her is tiny. I mean, she's an average-sized person, but she presents as tiny. Mm -hmm. She has a tiny voice, a tiny smile. She's one of those people you just want to put in your pocket. (laughs) Anyway, Ellie is played by actress Jan Clare, who actually has no other creepy credits in fact she's barely even really an actress jan was brought on to assist with the film's casting and was asked to step in and play the role of ellie at the last minute when the actual actress that was hired pulled out of the project that's interesting so she can like literally after every scene she's like i'm not even supposed to be here (laughs) what is happening (laughs) Well, next we see T.P. out searching for Richie. At one point, he scans his flashlight across some bushes and the light clearly illuminates Mars. But T.P. doesn't see it. And when he shines his light back in that direction, he's gone. Also, we're starting to see more and more of Mars. And quite frankly, he looks exactly like the Jack Link Sasquatch. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I know that's an American product that some of our listeners might not know about. Hell, I'm sure there's some Americans that could care less about meat sticks and don't know about it either. But trust me, just look up Jack Link Sasquatch and now you know exactly what Madman Mars looks like. Yeah, it's true. I didn't think about that till now, but you are very correct. It's it's him, hair and everything. <laughs> uh, I guess that makes Mars the missing link. But I'm done. Well, TP continues to look for Richie for way longer than necessary for this scene. Uh, until he stops as he catches a whiff of something foul. He says, it smells like death, and a noose is flung around his neck, yanking him backwards and dragging him across the ground. We then see Mars toss the other end of the rope around a branch and hoist TP into the air, his legs flailing as his hands grasp and claw at the constriction around his neck. T.P. is left struggling desperately, but finally manages to get both of his hands up to the branch above him and hang on, relieving some of that pressure from his neck, allowing him to breathe. And this hanging scene is intense. It's very intense. Now, normally when a hanging is depicted on film, there's a special way they tie the rope so that it is also harnessed around their waist. And that's what takes the brunt of the weight. So there's no danger of actually hanging the actor. But when TP lifts his hands to grab the branch above him, his jacket rides up and you can clearly see there's no rope tied there. Now, that doesn't mean it's not tied higher, like maybe around his chest under his armpits. But right now, I can't figure out how they pulled this off Mm -hmm. other than to actually temporarily hang the guy uh, and hope that everything turns out fine. Uh, I mean, I'm sure that's not what they did. But however they did this, it's really impressive and looks 
very real. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Mars doesn't take too kindly to TP messing up his hanging plans, so he walks right over to TP, gets himself a good grip on his waistband, right on his TP belt buckle, and yanks down as hard as he can, snapping TP's neck in a ridiculously loud crack. Mars then stands back and admires his handiwork and adds a nice little grr, grr, which means cool. <laughs> like dead guy as he leaves. It's, uh, again, it, it was intense. Yeah. It was very, very intense. Well, next we see Betsy telling Dave and Stacy that TP left 45 minutes ago to look for Richie and still hasn't returned. Dave says this happens at least twice a year. Now, the first time I watched this, I was like, TP goes missing at least twice a year? Maybe this guy shouldn't be a camp counselor. (laughs) Yeah, we should not hire him back next year. But Dave continues and says that it's the campers that tend to go missing a couple times a year. But that's not any better. This is a horrible camp. How the fuck do you lose so many campers? I was going to say, we shouldn't be losing people that often. (laughs) Plus, they're supposed to be gifted. Can I not read a map? Plus, when you consider the fucking counselor to camper ratio... There should be six eyes on each camper at all times. For sure. (laughs) Anyway, Betsy also tells them about the figure she thought she saw right before TP left. And Dave just laughs it off as Betsy's overactive imagination and tells her there's no need to make things up for, quote unquote, dramatic effect. (laughs) And promises to go out and find him. And sir, you have just reached fucktard status. And we (laughs) shall dance gloriously when you are horribly murdered. (laughs) Now, he does actually apologize before he leaves because, again, everyone is very unusually self-aware of their actions in this movie for an 80s slasher. (laughs) So Dave goes off in search of TP, but as he leaves, he passes that axe that's been stuck in a tree stump and the camera stops and focuses on the handle, which means, you guessed it, here comes Mars, weird monster hand and all, and easily pulls the axe free and... Becomes King Arthur, I guess. Wonderful rags to riches story. <laughs> Never the doubt the underdog. We didn't know we needed. <laughs> well, we next see Dave has made it to the campfire site, still looking for TP and Richie. He decides to turn off his lantern, which enables him to see TP's flashlight still illuminated in the distance. He makes his way to the flashlight, but there's no sign of TP, but he can hear a sound, which actually is the sound of TP's body swinging back and forth on a rope. So he follows it until he runs right into TP's feet. He immediately chops him down, TP's body flopping face down onto the ground, and oh my god, his face. This is not makeup, and this dude looks fucking dead. So Tony Nunziata, who plays TP, what he would do is he would actually choke himself before these scenes, both this one and when he was being hung, by tying a rubber band around his neck. Oh my gosh. The idea was to make himself look as realistically dead as possible, like all the blood had rushed up to his face. The stunt was so realistic, director Joe Giannone worried at times that he would make himself pass out during takes. I mean, it is effective. He looks horrible in the scene. It, I don't like it. Yeah, I know that there was... Um... The the scene before when they were when he was struggling mm-hmm. pulling himself up on the I remember thinking that of just like because that scene's happening so quick and everything, 
this movie has done such a good job with their practical effects and stuff. I remember thinking like, damn, they did a really good job on like, I remember specifically, I think it was around his right eye. His eye was kind of facing the camera and it looked, I mean, of course his eye was kind of bulging, but he had, I mean, like veins, you could see the veins on his forehead and almost kind of bruising already. I was like, damn, that looks really good. But I mean, if he was going to that extent, yeah, holy shit. That's that's real. What you're seeing is the realness. That's wild. Yeah, it's crazy. Scary almost. <laughs> just just for I mean, thank goodness that he's okay and everything. Yeah. But yeah, that's just wild. I can't imagine being that. Anybody else on set being like, I mean, isn't there any way else we could do this? I mean, we have makeup. <laughs> Anything else we could do? Well, Dave takes off and hides behind a tree, not knowing who may have killed TP, and he pulls out that pocket knife he had during his trust monologue. We then hear Mars's signature sound that lets you know he's around. And I'm sure the filmmakers would like me to inform you that it is in no way like the sound you hear when Jason Voorhees is around. No siree Bob, totally different and original, whereas Jason's goes, kill, 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 ah, ah, ah. Mars's goes, dun dun dun, quacka quacka quacka. Totally different. Very different. <laughs> Plus, Jason doesn't make a quacking sound, so think about that. Think about that. It's scarier. <laughs> Very scary. <laughs> well, Mars takes a swing at Dave and misses, and misses again. And now another swing and a miss. Wow, Mars is really off his game. Dave starts to back up away from Mars as we get a nice silhouette shot of Mars coming at him with the axe that mimics the poster art. Of course, Dave has all the time in the world to get up and run away, but he doesn't, and soon Mars is on top of him and raises the axe in the air and brings it down as we hear flesh squelching as it says in the closed captions, and the scene immediately switches back to Stacy and Betsy back in the cabin. Stacy suggests they go over to the office, which they do. Once they arrive, Stacy says that Betsy should stay there while she takes the truck to drive to the end of the trail and look for the guys. Betsy thinks they should both just stay put, but Stacy says, that's the difference between you and me. You're content to sit behind and I'm not. I'd like to know what's going on. And she says it in the nicest way possible, but it still comes off kind of bitchy. Yeah, it's a little bit like, okay, ouch. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's like, wow, all right. Well, Stacy then stops by the tent Bill and Ellie set up and interrupts the two trying to have some sexy time. She apologizes and says she doesn't normally do this, but a bunch of people are missing and maybe it's best if they're all, quote unquote, on duty, so to speak. She then tells them, don't rush, but hurry, if you know what I mean. No, Stacy, we don't know what you mean. <laughs> Literally cannot do both. <laughs> don't rush, but also don't be slow. You know what I mean? Uh, by all means, don't get up right away. But I need you to do this immediately. <laughs> <laughs> no hurry at all, but this can't wait. <laughs> Well, we next see Stacy off on her own again, checking the batteries in her flashlight. But we also see that Mars is watching her. She makes her way to the camp truck, which has the worst paint job I've ever seen. It looks like it was painted with just straight up house paint. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's also like butter yellow. 
Well, she tries to start the truck, but it won't turn over. So now she has to get out and check under the hood, which she does, which just gives Mars more time to menacingly approach the vehicle. Stacy manages to fix the problem in 2.8 seconds. I seriously don't think she touched a thing. She just lifted the hood and shut it again, and that seemed to fix it. I guess she rebooted the car? Anyway, she gets back in and starts the truck just as Mars reaches out for the door handle. But Stacy manages to pull away, leaving Mars standing there breathing heavily. Oh, poor guy has asthma. (laughs) That's what he's pissed about. He's just trying to get somebody to help him with his inhaler. That's it. He just wants attention. It's like, seriously, I think I left it in my other jacket. They're like, ah! here? He's like, no, re- really, <laughs> really, somebody, please. <laughs> well, back in the office, we see Bill and Ellie have managed to not rush, but yet hurry back. Ellie doesn't like it and wishes Max were there because he always knows what to do in an emergency. But Bill tells her, easy, Ellie, this is hardly an emergency. <laughs> This happens every year. Okay, Ellie. People are dying horribly, but this is fine. We got this. He says we're doing what Max would be doing, which is searching for a lost kid. Only TP should have gathered the whole group, not just go off on his own. Yes, Bill. Clearly, Ellie is overreacting. Must be for that dramatic effect women are always going for. It's not making the situation better either, Bill. 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 Get it together, Bill. Well, back with Stacy, we can see she's arrived at the campfire spot to search for the missing guys. We also see that Mars has made it down here as well. Damn, he is fast. I mean, she drove down here, so I'm not sure how he got here so fast. Well, then clearly that asthma isn't that bad, is it? <laughs> Maybe the gifted kids have built a transporter? I don't know. <laughs> Eventually, Stacy discovers Dave's lantern, which leads her to Dave, and she can see his feet sticking out over a log. She goes over and says... Dave, are you okay? And when she touches him, his torso comes popping up, revealing his missing head and exposed neck wound in all of its fake bloody goodness. Also, Stacy's scream is the weirdest horror scream I have ever heard. <laughs> I have to play it for you. Just a warning, there will be a loud music cue meant to scare you, so be prepared. Dave, are you hurt? What the fuck was that? <laughs> she sounds like she keeps trying to take it back mid-scream. It's like, yeah! <laughs> take it back. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Although, I, I, I just feel like, I mean, the reaction... It's apropos. I mean, I don't know what else I can expect. There's somebody there without a head. Yeah. I mean, this body has just popped up in your face. Sans head. (laughs) And you just see its little, you know, shitty neck wound (laughs) staring at you in the face. Uh, It's it's dramatic. So maybe that's what her scream was. It was like, it was screaming because it was headless, but also it was a shitty neck wound. So it was like also not that scary, but also still headless, still pretty scary, but also so many emotions. Yeah. 
Well, Stacy continues kind of mini screaming and backs away as we see Dave's body, which is now fully sitting up on the log, slowly fall over backwards and land next to his own decapitated head. It is such a gleefully fun 80s shock horror moment. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. it's a bloody gory mess and it's super detailed where you can see bone and everything. But yet you can still tell it's fake. So it just makes it fun and over the top. Yeah, absolutely. Well, next, Stacy completely flips out and takes off running through the woods. We also see Mars drag Dave's body away. Stacy manages to trip and fall because everyone knows in the 80s, women were physically incapable of running more than 100 yards without falling on their fucking faces. <laughs> she gets up and continues on, body slamming herself into the truck's driver's side door. I mean, could she not see it? It's bright fucking yellow. <laughs> she slams into the truck. It's like, jeez. She gets inside and tries to start it up, but shock of shocks, the truck won't start. So now she has to get out and reboot it again. It's so irritating when tech support can't help you. She also spends way too long trying to start the truck. You're going to fucking flood it. Stop it. (laughs) She gets out and as she lifts the hood, we can see Mars stand up behind the truck. Also, the quack is back. Well, Mars climbs on top of the roof of the truck as Stacy leans under the hood to fiddle with the reset button. And just when you think she's got it all fixed and is about to stand up, Mars jumps down off the roof onto the hood of the truck, slamming it down on Stacy's neck, decapitating her, trapping her head under the hood as her body falls to the ground, splurting blood from the neck wound as it slides down the grill. It is an epic kill. It really is. It is. uh, I I think audibly I was like, oh, it was so good. (laughs) It is so good. Well, next we see Ellie and Bill make it down to the campfire area. I can see the truck off in the distance. So the two decide to split up in order to make a big circle around the entire area so they're sure not to miss anything. So Bill heads off toward the campfire spot and discovers the rope next to the tree that was used to hang TP. Ellie, however, chose to head toward the truck and sees Mars standing over Stacy's body. This causes Ellie to scream, a perfectly normal scream, mind you, not one of those weird take it backs. <laughs> and she runs off in Bill's direction. When she finds him, she tells him she saw something terrible, something big and dark. Bill says he has to go check for himself, you know, since these ladies are always doing stuff for dramatic effect. <laughs> Ellie just wants to go back to the office, but Bill says, what good is that? Let's just be sure of what you saw. What good is safety? If you saw anything at all. Oh, my God. (laughs) Remember when I said earlier, these people seem a little woke? Well, I take it back. (laughs) Well, they walk back to the truck, but of course now nothing's there, which he gleefully points out to her. He then takes her around the back of the truck, conveniently missing all the blood smeared on the front of the truck, and helps Ellie into the passenger side. He then goes back around the back and gets in the driver's side and rolls down the window. Aw, isn't that nice? At least they let us know ahead of time that he's going to be viciously ripped from this truck through the window, (laughs) because there's literally no other reason for him to roll that down other than to set up that kill. That's called telegraphing, kids. (laughs) Just let 
you know if you're writing your screenplay. Well, next, Bill tries to start the car, but the engine stalls, and we hear the gloriously squishy sound of Stacy's head getting caught in the engine's fan blades. This whole scene, I remember like just waiting for it because obviously we have the Stacy kill beforehand where mm-hmm. her head just gets smashed to pieces in the truck. And then when they run up to it, I was just like, oh no, oh no, oh no. <laughs> so you're just waiting for it the whole time. And it is very, very squelchy. Oh, it is the worst, but yet also the best somehow. Yes. It's great. Well, Bill gets out to investigate, opens the hood and reacts to what we know is there but can't see yet. Ellie hears him react and asks what's wrong. Bill yells at her, don't come over here. But then he leaves the front of the truck, so Ellie just comes running over. I mean, he just told you not to do that. Uh, <laughs> and she sees Stacy's head as it is also revealed to the audience. It's not the most impressive effect. I, I, I wanted total carnage. I was honestly expecting more just because of how this movie had been thus far. I, I was too. And it's quite frankly a little bit of a letdown. Yeah. It's just her head, which is fine. It looks perfectly fine, but it's not as bloody <laughs> as the squishy sounds would have implied it should be. <laughs> it's a little disappointing. <laughs> you can do better, Stacy. <laughs> so all that squishy sound was just for dramatic effect, I'm sure. <laughs> so as Ellie stands there in shock, by the way, still all tiny and cute, even in a state of terror, Bill comes back with a blanket, scoops Stacy's head out from under the hood, just tosses it off to the side, puts Ellie back in the car, starts it up. I guess Stacy was able to get it rebooted before she lost her head, puts the truck in gear and turns to look at Ellie just long enough for good old man-man Mars to stick his beefy arm in there and yank Bill out the window. This sends the car careening toward a tree at a blistering three miles an hour. Ellie screams as the tree slowly inches closer to the truck (laughs) until the truck smashes ever so gently into the tree, somehow sending Ellie flying out the passenger door, landing with a gentle and small bounce on some padding, obviously covered in leaves. It's the tiniest, safest little stunt I've ever seen, and I just love it. It is. It's all very slow and accurate, and I love it. it. It just seems like they... Everyone realizes how little Ellie is, and they're like, "We're good. Everything's going to be so gentle. We're going to set up this stump for you. It's, it's going to be, be fine. so okay. You're, You're going to be okay. It's going to be safe. <laughs> Afterwards, we will all hold you in unison. We will rock back and forth until you feel like going on. All right. One, two, three, action. Let's go. <laughs> it's so cute. Well, next, poor Ellie appears to have injured her knee during her death-defying escape. She looks back to see Mars standing on a hill, backlit, holding Bill above his head as he cracks his back? Question mark? Attempts to pull him apart, maybe? Not too sure. Uh, But Ellie ain't sticking around to find out and takes off running toward the main camp. As we then see Mars dragging Billy's body away. Still no idea how he died. We just hear a lot of cracking sounds. Yeah. We then cut back to Richie. Holy shit, remember that guy? Because I didn't. Both times I watched this movie when this scene came up, I was like, oh my God, I totally forgot about this little douchebag wandering around in the woods. (laughs) Well, Richie's still just walking around and he spots Mars still dragging Bill's body. So he decides to follow him. 
which is what got him lost in the first place. Richie follows Mars back to Mars's house again, and we see Mars go inside, drop Bill's body off, and come back out, grrr, arguing with an axe. Well, this is enough to pique Richie's curiosity, so he goes back up to Mars's house, but instead of accessing the cellar from the cellar outside like Mars does, Richie decides to go in through the entrance of the house, which we see him do. However, the door actor Tom Candela, who plays Richie, uses doesn't actually lead to a cellar. It's actually just the broom closet for the kitchen, and so he has to mimic going downstairs. (laughs) Yep, you got fooled by Hollywood magic. That's not actually a staircase. (laughs) Uh, I had to watch it again when I read that fact, and... I mean, if you don't know, it it completely looks like he's starting to go downstairs. But if you do know, it's really obvious that that first step is fake. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, we then see Richie enter the cellar and he finally sees what Mars has been doing down there. We don't get to see it, but we do see Richie's reaction and he looks horrified. We next cut to Betsy back at the main camp, checking in on the campers. But outside, we see Ellie has made it back to camp and bust through the office door, collapsing onto the floor. Jeez, on that bad knee, too. That looked so painful. But when she realizes Betsy isn't there, she leaves and heads over to the main lodge. She then walks all over the main lodge, crying and screaming, Betsy? Anybody? The whole time. I mean, this poor girl has had a night, and now they just have her walking all over the damn place I looking. I promised a hug. <laughs> for Anybody? to help her. For like 10 minutes. Was there a time limit they were contractually obligated to reach? Why did they stretch this out so much? I just want to put Ellie in my pocket, poor thing. But uh-oh. <laughs> Madman Mars is near. Ellie hears a noise and goes to investigate and finds that the lodge doors are now open. Ellie, now worried someone else is now inside the lodge with her, slowly backs up to the front door. And Ellie, 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 did no one tell you the rules? You never, ever back up in a horror movie. It's just a guarantee that, yep, man, like I said, there he is right behind you. It's (laughs) Madman Mars. Well, we already heard the damn duck quacks, Ellie. So we all knew he was around. We were aware. Where were you? You really only have yourself to blame at this point. (laughs) Well, Ellie turns around just in time to see Omar standing there and she screams and shuts the door in his face. He hacks through it with the axe, chasing Ellie through another door that she closes and locks. But Mars makes quick work of that one as well. She then runs into the kitchen, goes to the refrigerator, pulls everything out in like half a second. Like if that was an Olympic event, she would not only have the gold, but she would be the world record holder. And then she climbs inside to hide from Mars. This should be another indicator to our listeners as to how tiny Ellie is, that she can basically just push aside a jar of mayonnaise and climb inside the fridge. (laughs) It is one of the craziest things I've seen in a horror movie, believe it or not. It was just so unexpected. There's even a door right to the left. Mm -hmm. It's like, why didn't you run through that door? I was wondering the same thing because, I mean, I think, you know, as a viewer, your inclination is always like, no, don't stop when you're running. Keep going. But yeah, she doesn't run very far. She just stops right in front of the fridge and calls it quits. And I remember thinking like, why why didn't you just keep going? Yeah, but 
it works. Mm-hmm. She listens to him trash the place looking for her and then hears him leaves when he's unsuccessful. We next see her slowly make her way back to the front of the lodge, but we also see that Mars is waiting for her. But when she catches sight of that open front door, she makes a run for it and runs smack dab into Mars's axe blade, which lands square in the middle of her chest. She backs away from him, her arms twitching as she collapses to the floor. Damn it, Mars. Come on. You're fucking with my little pocket counselor. (laughs) At the same moment, Betsy comes out of the girl's cabin and makes her way over to the lodge. She peers through one of the windows and sees blood all over the place. Horrified, she runs back to the office and calls the place in town where Max said he would be playing cards. And if you youngins out there who have never had the pleasure of using a rotary phone need an example of how long it took to actually dial the fucking phone, please pay attention to this scene. It takes her so long to dial that phone, she actually briefly stops to shake out her hand in the middle like all this work is just too taxing on her poor delicate bones it really is ridiculous and waiting for the nine to roll all the way back oh my god it took forever it's exhausting so she finally gets a hold of max and tells him he has to come back immediately max asks what's wrong she says she doesn't know but there's blood all over the fireplace and he needs to come back now and he tells her he'll be right there So as Bessie hangs up the phone, she looks out the window and sees Mars crossing the campgrounds. At least I think she does. Maybe she's making it up for dramatic effect. I'm not sure. Uh, So she grabs a shotgun off the office wall and opens the top desk drawer to find six shotgun shells. She loads two and then puts two in her pocket. And this is when Danny screams at the television, Why didn't you take the other shells? You could have two more shots. Danny is not fucking around with your stupidity, Betsy. Get it together. (laughs) I'm so glad I'm wearing off on you that you call people out on their shit in movies now. Well, so funny because she opens the drawer. We can clearly count there's four shots in there. I think there's either four or five. Yeah, she had pulled out the two and then there's four more. Yeah, and she just grabs two. Grab, why is two the only? (laughs) I don't, I don't get it. This should take care of it. No problem. I got this. I'm a crack shot. I go to camp. (laughs) And I'm gifted. Well, Betsy now very slowly makes her way back over to the lodge where she had peeked in the window before. It's another scene that takes forever. It is seriously like two minutes for her to walk from one building to another. And they're right across from each other. Mm -hmm. There were several scenes in this movie that it just seemed like they were stretching for time. So just be aware of that if you want to go back and watch this, which we highly recommend that you do. Very entertaining. Just know there's some scenes that you're like, all right, get to it. What are we walking around so much for? (laughs) Anyway, Betsy finally approaches that window when all of a sudden Ellie appears in the window. Yay, she's alive. This, of course, startles Betsy and she shoots. Oh, damn it. Ellie's dead again. The gun discharges, waking up the remaining five campers. Remember, Richie is the sixth, and he is who the hell knows where at this point. And one of the younger girls comes outside, and Betsy yells at her to wake everybody up, to which the girl doesn't respond, and she just calmly closes the door. So is that a no, or... 
I don't know. <laughs> I just kept joking that she was like, uh, no, this is too much. No. I got to go back to bed. <laughs> I just, this is a bad dream. Betsy now rounds everyone up and gets them all on the camp bus. She gets the bus started and takes off, but Mars runs out in front of the bus, and so Betsy slams on the brakes. It's at this point that both Danny and I are screaming at the TV, why the hell would you stop? Keep going! (laughs) Well, Mars comes to the door and starts trying to get in while Betsy and one of the older boys do their best to hold the door shut. Betsy then grabs a wooden stick of some sort and just starts wailing on Mars's hand. Wailing. Just she's going to fucking town. The shit out of his little fingers uh, <laughs> until he finally lets go and leaves. Betsy looks for him outside and she'll, until she finally sees him take off with Ellie's body. Next, Betsy decides she needs to go look for everyone else to see if anyone is alive. I don't know why she thinks that's a good idea, since everyone else who has gone looking for everyone else has never returned. But let's continue that. <laughs> well, clearly, it's up to me now. So uh... It's been working great so far. She then tells the older boy uh, that was helping her keep the door shut to drive the bus directly to the police station. Okay, um, so two things here. One, does this boy have his CDL license, or any license for that matter? Does he know how to drive? much less drive a bus. And B, do these children know where the police station is? Is that part of the camp orientation when they arrive, that they're just told where all the emergency services are in town? (laughs) Hey guys, welcome to the camp. Uh, Things could get a little bloody, so do we just want to go ahead and let you know right up the top, right down the road, we got a 911. And right the road over there, we got a station. And right over there, well, that's just the army, just in case things get crazy. I don't know. <laughs> They're constantly on standby. <laughs> we don't want to freak you guys out too much. And You'll we hope... figure it out. You're all gifted. It's fine. <laughs> and we hope all six of you will enjoy your stay. <laughs> now everybody find a counselor. Buddy up. It's <laughs> one for each of you. This is going to be the best summer ever. <laughs> Have I told you the story of Mad Men Mars? <laughs> I'll save that to the end. Don't worry about it. Children, you will be there. All right. <laughs> What if this was the reason they said that at the beginning? They get to this part of the story and they're like, wait, is the audience really going to believe this kid is just going to drive a bus out of here to safety? And they're all like, oh, we'll just say they're all gifted. It'll be fine. <laughs> They'll believe anything. They're like, uh, this is this is uh, um, uh, bus driving camp. Yeah, we'll say it's bus driving camp. Yep. They'll believe us. That'll work. That'll work. Well, Betsy grabs the shotgun, opens the bus door, and tells the kids to get moving. We next see Betsy, our final girl, arrive at Mars's house. She starts to look around inside, and we can see Mars sneak in behind her and also make his way into the house. As Betsy is creeping around, something either falls behind her or is thrown behind her, and she spins around and fires off a shot. This means the two shots she had in the shotgun have now been expended, and she's going to have to reload. But we're not the only ones to figure that out, and here comes Mars out of the darkness, sneaking up behind her. A floorboard creaks, drawing Betsy's attention, making her turn around toward Mars, and we finally get a full-on look at him. And, yep, he still looks like the Jack Link Sasquatch. (laughs) It's just no doubt about it. He continues to slowly advance toward her, raising his axe, but Betsy is still struggling to get that gun reloaded. 
He finally gets close enough that he's able to use the axe to knock the gun out of her hand. He then swipes at her face with his monster hand, leaving a huge gash on her cheek. He then grabs her by the back of the collar and drags her through the house and down into the cellar. He then hangs her on a giant hook on the wall that just pokes right through her back and out her chest. No big deal. It's fine. She then pulls out that pocket knife. Remember, I mentioned all the counselors had pocket knives on their belts and says, enough, lunging forward, landing the blade into Marza's back. This causes him to spin around, knocking a pitchfork over that crashes into a lit candle knocking that over, which immediately sets the cellar on fire, which for some reason is completely covered in hay. I don't know why. <laughs> it's not a barn. It's a cellar. Uh, but it makes it burn very fast. Well, <laughs> Mars turns around to look at his collection, and we finally see what Richie saw, which is just a bunch of dead bodies leaning against the wall. It's giving me like uh, that last uh, kind of shot of Midsummer where they kind of pan around that barn thing mm-hmm. that's kind of the vibes it was giving to me yeah but i thought it would be much worse though like I they would too. be posed in some creepy art installation mm-hmm. or something but no. i will say it was a little lackluster but yeah. i was expect because i definitely was because we hadn't seen everything i thought it was going to be like a, a big grand yeah reveal. i thought you know because they specifically showed richie's reaction mm-hmm. which is this mm-hmm. horrified reaction which quite frankly i mean if i just came across a stack of dead bodies that would be enough to be horrifying <laughs> yes. so his reaction was genuine it's yeah. just that at this point you know we expect some big grand oh what could be so horrifying mm-hmm. because we've already seen all these dead bodies so yeah. surely it must be worse but no it's it's just reiterating yes all these people are <laughs> dead Uh, So Mars then just monster growls at them as the fire continues to engulf the cellar. In our last scene, we see Richie standing on a road in a car's headlights. Turns out the car belongs to Max, who has been rushing to return to the camp after Betsy's call. Max gets out of the car and goes up to Richie and asks if he's all right. Richie replies, Madman Mars, he's real as we once again see all of Mars's victims in the cellar, and we hear TP again sing Song of the Fifth Wind, the same song he was singing around the campfire to scare the kids, only this time it's a fancy studio recorded version. The last thing we see is a silhouetted shot of Mars walking with his axe as TP sings, The legend live, beware the madman Mars. Fade to black and roll credits. So one other bit of trivia, the ending here where Max finds a traumatized Richie on the road was originally going to be set up for a sequel, according to director Joe Giannone. In the sequel, Richie was supposed to be blamed for the murders while Madman Mars is free to roam the woods. Obviously, the sequel has yet to be made. So there you go. (laughs) As of right now, that's it. That's that's what that's what we're left with. Madman Mars. Quack 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 quack. We uh, anytime we do our series uh, planning, we always like to sit down and watch the trailers and everything beforehand. Um, and so that's what we did with this trailer when we were planning October and the movies we were going to do for this series. And I feel like if you watch this trailer and are immediately intrigued and wanting to watch this movie, just simply from the guy going, Madman Moss, Madman Moss, 
the whole time, then I, I, I don't, I don't know what you're doing here, my guy. Because <laughs> it, it immediately drew me in, and I've been saying it like that ever since. Up until we watched that movie, I will probably say it every time I hear the word madman now. And all that's to say, I'm glad we watched Madman. I am too. It was a wild fucking ride, and I'm, I'm. It's bizarre that I hadn't heard of it before because I, I mean, I, it kind of like you alluded to. I definitely put it all in the same tier as like Friday the Thirteenth. This kind of just over gory, cheesy, but amazingly fun camp slasher. And it's just crazy that I haven't heard of it before. Yeah. I think if there's any movie from this series, from from these four movies that we're doing this mm-hmm. month, that I would highly me- recommend people go see, it's this one. Yeah. Because we all know most people have seen next week's movie. There's a reason we've saved it toward the end. Yeah. You know, it's kind <laughs> of the most famous summer slasher. Uh, but I, I'll put this one up against any of these, mm-hmm. and I think it was great. Yeah. I had an absolute amazing time. I did, too. And and like I said, I don't know if it was because we watched Cheerleader Camp last week or not, but I really do think, uh, you know, I putting that joke aside, I do think this movie kind of held its own, and I, I, I love the gore in it and the uh, <laughs> just cheesy acting in it and everything, and even like the parts where you and I both found ourselves being like what the hell you know like yelling at the tv or whatever it didn't deter from the movie no absolutely not it was still a lot of fun and I enjoyed myself while watching it yeah and quite frankly all that stuff is to be expected in these slasher films you know the the trope of the woman falling down as she's running through the woods or trying to start the car and you know it's not going to start or mm -hmm. the minute he rolls down that window you know he's going to get yanked through the window it's just from years of watching this and you know it's going to happen but it does not detour from your enjoyment of the film at all it is still so much fun yeah absolutely i had the best time i did too well that of course just leaves our prompts well i'm ready to get into it all right so what did you have for your popcorn spiller so for my popcorn spiller i actually have that first kill it's um dippy's death no um it's actually whenever they're telling the stories and and he's walking through the house and the um, I think it's the wife. Oh, when they're they're telling his backstory. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. You're talking OG kills. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why it was for me because if it that kill is shown in the trailer, like we alluded to, and it's a very graphic kill. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you know, I had seen the trailer probably three times up to this point before seeing the movie, and that kill still got a little jump out of me and it's still a little oof so if a kill can still kind of like get that sort of reaction out of me and it like I said it being right off the top it was a popcorn spiller enough for me to remind me that like yep this movie's gonna definitely amp up the gore game and we're jumping into it uh so uh, that's the reason I, I picked it for mine it's it's really such a small kill in the game of the kills in this movie especially because it's not even part of our right. main cast. Yeah. Uh, but I think it was just a nice jumping off point for me that, you know, reminding me what we're getting into right. <laughs> with yeah. this movie. So that's what I picked. But how about for you? Well, I, I went with the one that I thought that you were f- referring to, which is the first of our kill at the camp. Mm-hmm. And that is Dippy's Dippy. death. Yeah. yeah. Man, I did not expect Mars to be standing mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Just because, like I explained, I couldn't figure out what exactly was happening here so I wasn't 
it wasn't even occurring to me, oh, he's going to open a door yeah. and there's going to be someone standing there or he's going to turn on a light mm-hmm. just because I couldn't figure out what the hell was actually going on. Yeah. So when a light turns on out of the blue and Mars is just there and of course the music cue comes on with it and he just slashes his throat, it's like, holy fucking shit. Yeah. So yeah, that one got me. It was a good one. It was a really good one. So who ended up being your scene stealer? Ellie. That that was mine as well. I mean, come on, my little <laughs> tiny pocket character. I will carry her around and feed her tiny food and let her drink out of a thimble. I will keep her so safe. She was very little. And I think what I liked about her, too, was just, I don't know, she... I think because her demeanor is so little, she wasn't over the top or anything like Mm -hmm. that, but she still managed to shine in the way that like she didn't get lost. She wasn't too mousy or anything like that. That was just like she was a disposable throwaway character. Like I still found myself caring about her and caring about her when she died and everything like that. So I feel more than the others because she was so little. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like if you can take a character where they don't have to sit there and constantly you have to put on a persona and constantly have to be this like either macho guy or the, the ultimate final girl, you know, they don't have to have that definitive personality trait to stand out in the movie. Mm hmm. If they can still be somebody that kind of ends up, for lack of a better word, stealing my heart or stealing the scene like Ellie did, then I feel like, yeah, that that definitely goes to her in this movie. It was unexpected. I didn't, um, I really figured it would be kind of one of our more louder characters, I guess Mm -hmm. I should say. But yeah, she was just so tiny and adorable. I mean... Yeah, and I think Jan Claire, the the actress, was just the best happy accident that happened mm-hmm. to this film. You mm-hmm. know, she wasn't even supposed to play this role, yeah. and the fact that she ends up filling in, I think, is the best thing. Yeah. She's just so cute and <laughs> adorable. Mm-hmm. I I'm so sad she died. <laughs> All right, well, then that brings us to Gorgasm. What was your favorite gory moment in this one? Oh, we had some good ones to choose from. So uh, this is where I got to bring in um, Dippy on my list. I really enjoyed that throw cut. Oh, God, it was was good. It was really good. And I think uh, similarly to why you you picked it, it was so unexpected right off the bat. I mean, we really hadn't been introduced to him at all. So I just really wasn't expecting him to go so quick. Mm -hmm. I mean, we always kind of have those throwaway characters in movies like that. but. It was just so fast, and then they really did do such a damn good job oh, on that God, throat it was cut. So it good. was crazy. It was well, so good. I'm going to put it out there right now. It is my orgasm as well, yeah. and I kind of fell into that same thing that you were as, well, am I giving this more credit because we just came off of cheerleader camp which had little to no gore and like really horrible effects. So when you see this... It looks like a genuine neck wound. Yeah. Like something has slashed just like the top layers of skin on his neck. I I don't even want (laughs) to get too graphic. I know that's a lot for some people, but it was so well done. Yeah. And so impressive that just to get that right off the bat, it just, it made me as a gore fan, Mm. you know, just giddy that, oh, this is going to be fun. For sure. So then that brings us to uh, Memorable Mortality. Who did you have in that list? I think for me, it has to be Stacy's death. That's who I had. Yep. Although TP's is a really close second. Yeah. Just because his was so intense with him actually looking dead. Mm -hmm. But the one that I remember, just that is so original. I'm not aware of another movie. At least I haven't seen one that I'm aware of. (laughs) Someone just getting the head chopped off. 
with the car and then when they get in the car mm-hmm. and you know what's going to happen yeah. and they're going to turn it on. I think that's what kind of pushed it over the edge for me because I already, I mean, I audibly reacted to that scene. Mm-hmm. As soon as, you know, he jumped down on it and it crushed her head, I was like, oh. So, like, I, there was already a little bit of, like, in, I don't know, is <laughs> enjoyment, for lack of better words, there. But the moment I saw them getting back into that truck and running away, I was like, oh, shit. They're about <laughs> to try to start this thing with her head still stuck in there. And I just knew. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think the fact that they kind of... I don't know, kind of gave it another life, for yeah. lack of better words. But. That's what makes it so memorable. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. It's not the kill itself, because I guarantee you there's probably four or five other horror movies that yeah. have done the same kind of kill. We just haven't seen them. But yeah, it's that extra moment of mm-hmm. sending them back, yeah. and you know it's coming, Yeah, that makes it so great. Yeah. So then I, I guess uh, that leaves us with our last one, which clearly this one we didn't enjoy. So is this <laughs> it's a horrible. tough question? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I say we burn it. Let's just burn it. <laughs> no, this one was great. I had so much fun. This is going in the vault for sure. Yeah, absolutely. This was such a fun find. I'm so excited that, I mean, I, I as always with this podcast, this is just such a fun part of the journey is finding movies that I've never heard of before that now I get to say that I enjoy and get to show people. I mean, it's, it's, it's so fun to love the classics and the really well-known popular classics, but these ones that are just, you know, and maybe it's more more known to other people but it just isn't it wasn't known to me and Mm -hmm. so i'm excited to have another little treasure added to my uh my horror treasure chest of all my faves (laughs) yeah absolutely you know does this movie have some problems of course it does like i said there are these scenes that go on entirely too long Mm -hmm. of them walking around but it was never enough to detract from my overall enjoyment Mm -hmm. of this one and yeah yeah, this definitely is going to go in rotation for us and and hopefully it's one of those, maybe every Halloween, we pull it out and watch it. It's so good. Yeah, it was really good. Well, that's going to do it for us. Episode 31 is... In the can. In the can. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Dead Zone Drive-In on your favorite listening platform. And if you're looking for a way to support us, we would be so grateful you would leave a rating and or review and if you screenshot that review and send it to us we're gonna send you your very own dead zone drive-in sticker for free there's no monies honey you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter or you can email us at deadzonedrivein at gmail.com and if you want to reach us by snail mail, our address is P.O. Box 12665, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma 73157. And if you want to hang out with us and fellow late night weirdos, check out the show notes for links to our socials and our Facebook group, The Dead Zone Drive-In Discussion Room. Also, if you haven't already, be sure to check out our letterboxed link down in the show notes where I track all the horror we watch inside and outside of the screening room. And lastly, we'll be wrapping up this month's Slash Away Camp series with a little underrated hit from 1980, Friday the 13th. If you want to check out that trailer, don't worry, we've got you. That link is also down in the show notes. And of course, a big thank you to our house band Slime and the Maggot Boob for bringing Danny some chicken nuggets to enjoy before last weekend showing she really can get hangry real quick, and y'all really save the evening. Thank you so much, guys. I love my chicken nugs. And remember, if you're looking for the Dead Zone and want to join us for a weekend screening, if you've listened to this episode in its entirety, you'll have been provided with all the information you need. Don't forget your tickets. Good night, folks, and please buckle up. 
We'll be waiting for you. Gets himself a good grip. A good grip. A good grip. <laughs> Get the grip on yourself, man. <laughs> Mad Men Mars, you're freaking out. Get the grip. I tell Mad Men all the time. Get you know grip. better than this. Get the grip on yourself. Get the grip. Calm down. You think all that's serious? You have big enough hands. Get grip, please. Also, part your nose missing. Do you know that? <laughs> Someone tell you about your nose? Get Did the somebody grip. get grip on nose? <laughs> And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.